once again if you're excited to be in the house of God. It's been some weeks. Just make some noise. Clap your hands one more time. Let us also welcome anyone joining us online. Make some noise so that they can hear you. This is our welcome to our family that couldn't join us in person, but maybe they're watching online. We love you, and I have missed you, as you guys know. I've been gone for some time. Haven't been here since September. <laughs> and um, I just want to personally thank all of you in person who have prayed uh, during my time of fasting and supported me for those that reached out and or maybe you sent your love through Pastor Tanya for me. Uh, I have received your love and I know that it was your prayers also together with God giving the strength uh, that I'm here and I made it to the other side. <laughs> and I'm glad I'm back on this side. <laughs> and then to go too far over to the other side. But um, but no, it's so beautiful for us to come together in, in fellowship and in communion as the body of Christ. Um, when we say that we're believers, maybe we don't realize this at first, but you're not just given a God, but you're given a family. When you become a believer, you're not just given a God, you're, you're graced with a family. And, and that family is not always easy to deal with, just like we all know our own personal families. Um, we're not always smiling. Um, there's some rough patches, but the beauty about a family uh, and those of you who have those that you call your family, you know that it's through good and difficult times. And so the same is true for a spiritual family. The same is true for us as a church. Uh, maybe you've been with us for 11 years already, or maybe you've been with us for 11 months. I don't know where, you know, I can't remember where you all fall into that timeline. Um, we have had good times and we had, have had difficult times together, but the beauty is that we're still here and we're still together. Um, Yes, we're still here and we're still together. Uh, and not everyone has, has, has made, made it this far in the journey. Not everyone that has started with us is still with us. For some, God has called them and has moved them on and has commissioned them. And for others, some have fallen away either from the faith or have fallen out of relationship with this specific church body. But we're here today. You and I are here today. And it's been, it's been quite the journey these 11 years. And it's been quite the last year, this year, that we're in. But it's crazy when you think about it. There's, uh, there's less than three weeks left in this year. Can you believe that? There's less than three weeks left in this year. And the chapter, the page is going to turn. And this year, uh, if you're here and you've made it this far, um, we all know in some kind of way that we've all lost our mind. <laughs> and so if we're here today, it hasn't been our strength, amen? It has been the strength of the Lord. Uh, we've all been tested and we've all been tried. But that is part of the journey of faith. It is part of how God refines. It is how God purifies. And I know there's a lot of stuff we possibly have cried about. There's a lot of things that we have been frustrated about there's a lot of maybe moments of doubting and fear but it's all part of the journey it's all part of a journey and 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 in the lord nothing no situation no moment is ever wasted god is always trying to do something 
and it may not always be seen on the surface of what we experience, but behind the scenes, God is always trying to accomplish his will. Either accomplish his will in the world or accomplish his will in, 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 in your life. And so you have to dig deep. It's, this was a year that we had to dig deep as a church. We had to dig deep as individuals, as families, uh, dealing with children in school or work and these situations. We all had to dig deep. So I thank God that we have been tested and we have been tried. But I thank God because many of us have been found faithful, not faithful in terms of perfection, but faithful in our trust and our belief and our holding on to God. And so the church might not be full, and not everyone that started the year is still with us, but here we are. And the plans of God have, are, are not forgotten. The promises of the Lord have not been uh, uh, spoken in vain. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. I still believe in every word spoken in this house over us, over you, over your children, over this generation, over the generation that is coming up. We believe that. We stand here in faith. And this is what we say amen to. And so today we're going to go on a little journey. As this year comes to an end, when anything ends, chapters, books, sometimes seasons, you have to know that when something ends, there's always something else that is beginning. When something dies, there's always something that's about to give birth to life. And so as this year comes to an end, you have to know that another year is about to commence. And I'm going to take us into a story of the Bible where you're going to see a closing chapter, the ending of a season. And, and it's very, uh, it's ending on this, on, on this very high note. It's, it's, it's uh, climantic, Clim Clim how would you say? Yes. And it seems like it's gonna, the story's gonna close and this is great, but as you follow the story, you realize that it's just the ending of a book and another one's about to begin. It's the ending of a chapter, but another one's about to begin. And so it's really just a transition. And today, church, I want us to know that we're in a transition. And so, yes, we know we want this year to end and another one to begin, but you gotta understand that what holds it together is a transition. And the transition has to be made. And so we're going to go into the Hebrew Bible. We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 34. And this is actually the end of what we would call the Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible that make up the Torah. You have Genesis. You have Exodus. You have Leviticus, you have Numbers, and the final chapter, we could say, is Deuteronomy. And although it comes to an end, we know that our Bibles don't end. The season ends on what we call the Torah, but it's about to make a transition. There's still much storyline left. There's still much life to be received. There's still much God to know there's still so much grace to be experienced. There's still much promise to be fulfilled. And so one is coming to a close, but another is about to give birth. There's about to be a life that's going to happen. 
And so where we come at the end of the story, we're going to pick up at verse 1, and we're just going to read the first five verses of Deuteronomy chapter 34. And, and then after that, we're going to skip over, and then we're going to transition into that next chapter, and that'll actually begin in the book of Joshua, and we're going to start at verse 1, okay? And we read this name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the church says, Amen. It says, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pagash, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to you, I will give it to your descendants. Moses goes up into a mountain and God shows him the land. This land as we know it is the promised land. And the reason why it's the promised land is because he promised it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And because he swore that he was giving it to their descendants. The promise is spoken to Moses, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob but is promised to their descendants. It says, I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Moses doesn't get to go in. We're going to pick up now in Joshua chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. And it says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Look at this. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may deserve to do accord, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. 
for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. And the transition happens and the Torah comes to the end, but we see the possession of the promise is just about to begin. And so today I want to preach to you from this theme, and that is possess the promise. Amen? Possess the promise. Possess the promise. Amen. All right, I'm going to take us on a little journey. Um, the Torah comes to an end, ending in Deuteronomy, and... I kind of threw you or dropped you, I pin dropped you right in the middle of a transition. And we read that Moses dies in the land of Moab just before entering the promised land. Uh, God does not allow him, does not permit him to enter. And we're, we're going to backtrack and we're going to catch right back up. But just before Moses had died, he did anoint, he did lay hands on Joshua and Joshua takes the leadership role over the nation of Israel. And it's through Joshua, now who is the leader before the people, who God is saying that as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. God speaks to Joshua, and he's calling Joshua now to lead the people into the promised land that God says I have given, but they must possess the promise. And so this promise does not begin with Moses. It does not begin with Joshua. It doesn't begin with Moses' children. It didn't begin with Moses' father. The storyline actually goes way back. This promise actually begins early on in Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, if you read the verses uh, and the chapters just before that, the world is in absolute chaos, the sin and rebellion and it's just uh, uh, chaos, and, and the world is lost. And so creator God, uh, Yahweh, um, appears, and he speaks, and he calls Abram, and he, 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 he gives him a word. He gives him instruction. He gives him a blessing, and he gives him promises. This is known as the Abrahamic covenant, so to say. And, 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 and God has not lost uh, his, his desire for his creation, God has not lost his passion over humanity, is that humanity is lost in sin. And so in order for God to bring the people back into relationship and back into his presence, he needs to begin with someone because the whole entire world is lost. And so he speaks to Abraham, and we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 12, and this is known as the Abrahamic covenant. This is the, the blessing, and this is the promise that God speaks, and, and this is what reveals God's plan of redeeming his lost world. And this is what he says in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12. It says, now the Lord, and when you see the word Lord there, uh, and, it's, and it's in all caps, uh, for us who are reading in English, it's good that you know that in Hebrew, whenever we see the word Lord in all caps in our Bible in English, it actually, in the Hebrew scrolls, it's actually the name of the Lord, and it's Yahweh. So not to be confused when you see the word Lord in lowercase, 
uh, letters, but when you see the, the capital L-O-R-D, it's, it's the, the Hebrews actually read Yahweh. And so it says, so now Yahweh had said to Abram, get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house. Look at this, to a land that I will show you. And it begins with a call. It begins with a transition. A chapter is about to end and another chapter is about to begin. One book is going to close and a new book is about to open. And it begins with God calling Abraham to leave his father's house. And there's so much symbolism in, in, in that alone. But Abraham has to literally pick up his family, pick up his possessions, pick up his belongings, and he has to try Trust that God is going to show him a land. He says, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And look, he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will make you a great nation. So now there's a word of blessing that Abraham is not just going to stay Abraham. He's not going to stay fatherless, but he's going to have a nation. He's going to have offspring. He's going to have children and lots and lots of children and maybe too many children. Um, and then he goes on to say, and, and I'm going to bless you. And so you're going to be blessed. You're going to have my favor and you're going to have my blessing over you. And, and that means that I'm going to be looking at you. Yahweh, attention is going to be on you. And, and, and this means that you're going to be blessed. That means you're going to be happy. Whatever context you want to take it. Yahweh is going to bless you, Abram. And I'm going to make your name great. And, and I'm going to bless you that there's going to be eyes on you. People are going to see you. People are going to know you. People are going to learn your name. You're going to have reputation. You're not going to be someone in the background, but actually I'm going to bring you to the forefront. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and your name is going to be, and your name is going to be great. And look at this, and you shall be a blessing. And on top of that, I'm going to bless you so much. I'm going to give to you so much. My favor is going to be over you so much that it's not just going to stay with you. You're not going to be able to contain it. You're not going to be able to hold it, but it's going to actually start to overflow. It's going to go beyond you. It's going to spill in front of you. It's going to be in front of you and it's going to be behind you. And you too are going to be a blessing. As I bless you, you're going to bless others. Others. Verse 3 says, and I will bless those who bless you. And guess what? Those people that like you, <laughs> I'm going to bless them. Those people that respect you and revere you and those people that do good to you, I'm also going to bless them because you're in favor with me and because you're my son and because you're chosen, then I'm also going to bless them. But watch out for those who don't like you. <laughs> He says, and I will curse him who curses you. And so whoever opposes you, whoever's fighting against you, whoever becomes your enemy, whoever dis dis dislikes you, whoever tries to stop the blessing that I have put over your life, then I'm going to become their enemy. As they are cursing you, as they are after you, they're not going to fight against you. It's going to be me who is fighting for you. They don't want it. <laughs> It says, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so what God is really saying here, before Abraham gets too puffed up, like, man, I must be, <laughs> I must be cool. God is going to bless me, make my name great. I'm going to have this. I'm going to have that. Whoever likes me, God going to bless. And whoever don't like me, God going to get you. But Abraham, before you think that this is about you, it's more than you. 
I'm choosing you. I'm choosing a man. I'm choosing a family to bless the nations. And so the blessing that is over you goes beyond you. Yes, my favor will shine light on you, and my favor will do wonders in your life, and my favor will make your name great. But all of this serves with a purpose to be a blessing to the nations. Why? Because the rest of the nations are lost in darkness. And so the world is lost, and the world is mine, and, and, and the humans that are walking, and, and everything that in the earth belongs to me. And I am, I am God, the creator of the universe, and I am, I am the giver of life, and I am the giver of breath in people's lungs, lungs but they are lost. And so there's a, I, need a, I, need, I need a peace to get to them. I need a transition peace to reach them. And I'm choosing a man, a family, to be a blessing to the rest of the world, to bring them back into my presence. So yes, Abraham. You have my favor and you have my blessing, but it's to bring the rest of the world into my favor and my blessing and in my presence. And so this is a huge plan. This is a huge operation by God. And he speaks this to Abraham. And so God tells Abraham, but it begins with you leaving your father's house. This can't take place if you stay where you're at. This can't take place if you remain where you are at. This can't take place if you don't take steps of faith. This does not take place if you don't believe. This does not take place if you don't trust. And so, yes, this is a great master plan, and this all sounds great, but it's going to require you to transition. It's going to require you to walk. It's going to require you to take steps of faith. And so Abraham has to leave and verse 4 says, so Abram departed as the Lord has spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Lot is his nephew. And so Abraham acts on faith according to the word and the command spoken to him. He says, I'm going to do this, but you need to leave your father's house. And so this is what Abraham does. It says, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He's not a spring chicken, you know. He's 75 years old. It says, then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were there, were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And so Abraham leaves, and God actually guides him to the land of Canaan. And there, there are Canaanites. There are people who live there. But God goes, this land. I know there's people here now. And I know there are people who have a dwelling now. And I know you're walking in faith, trying to hear me, trying to follow me. But this land, I'm promising to you and to your descendants. And Abraham actually goes and then sets up an altar there. After this, a famine hits, and he has to travel. He has to leave. He has to go back to Egypt. This is all part of a beautiful narrative plot line that you should read. <laughs> but he eventually is able to get back there, and when he gets back there, he has a lot of possessions. He has a lot of cattle. Abraham, Abraham was a wealthy man. He had stuff. God already started to multiply him and bless him as he said that he would. He had stuff. His, 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 he comes with his nephew, and and and. And, and, and Genesis chapter 13 is a beautiful chapter. In verses 12 to 16, we're going to read that. It says this, Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. And you guys know about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And so when Abraham gets to the land, he has so much. His nephew Lot has so much. And they say, you know what? We, we got too much, and our people are going to start fighting. And, you know, so you, you pick a side, and I'll pick a side. And so Lot goes with his stuff, and he goes near Sodom, and then he gets into drama over there that Abraham has to go back and rescue him later on in the storyline. But Abraham stays, with, uh, stays near Canaan. And look at this. It says, now the people of Sodom were wicked, and they were sinning greatly against the Lord Yahweh. Then Yahweh said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, look around where you are to the north and to the south, to the east and to the west. All the land that you see I will give to what? To you and to your offspring forever i will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust then your offspring could be counted go walk through the length and breadth of the land for i am giving it to you he tells abraham now just just go walk across this thing it's not all yours but just take a stroll and walk in faith through here and i want you to as you walk in faith through here just know that your children your seed your descendants are going to multiply so much that if they can count dust on the floor and stars in heaven, that's how great, that's how populated, that's how of a, much of a blessing your people are going to be. So why don't you just take a walk through this place? Why don't you just taste the land of promise that I have for your descendants? And this is beautiful, but as time passes on, there's a problem because Abraham remains child, childless doesn't have a son right away and so he's got possessions and things are going well he's even walked and and and, and, you know and he's trotted through the land like a lion you know and stuff like that walking around seeing it he's looking everywhere but there's one problem he cannot have a child and when we get to Genesis 15 he 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 comes to a moment of, of of kind of despair you know, God tells him, Abraham, I'm your reward. And, 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 and Genesis chapter 15 starts with God trying to reaffirm his reward to him. And Abraham then kind of has a moment of doubt, like, what reward really can I, can I have, God? I do not have a son. And you know what? Someone else living in my house is just going to have to, you know, carry the family name. And we'll just make that person. And then God says, no. No, Abraham. And we pick up in Genesis 15. Verses 5 and 6 say this. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And verse 6 says, Abram, I want you to look at this word, believed Yahweh. And he credited to him as righteousness. Abram, look at the word, believed Yahweh, and he credited to him as righteousness. When you read that Abraham believed God, someone's like, oh, he believed God. He's like, okay, cool, God. Like, yeah, I believe you, no, no, no problem. But it's something interesting about this word believed here. We read in our English translation that Abraham believed God. Okay, God, that's what you said. But when you read this word in Hebrew, the more proper definition is not believe like when you just believe something. Like a child just believes and there's no hesitation, there's no doubt. Okay, that's what I just believe. And so that's God, that's what you said you're going to do. So I believe you, God. Yeah, no problem. We'll just keep on moving. The word actually in the Hebrew is the word that sounds very similar to our other English word, amen. It's aman. A-M-A-N. 
very similar to our English word, amen, A-M-E-N. And the word aman in Hebrew actually means trusted. So Abraham aman God, Yahweh. He trusted Yahweh, and God credited his trust as righteousness. Abraham amoned Yahweh, and God credited that to him as righteousness. He didn't believe, like, okay, because you said I believe that. He actually said, I'm going to, I trust you, God. And I think we've all been in certain situations that life has been a little, you know, either upside down for us and we kind of got ourselves in a hole and we don't know how we're going to get out. And we've all have that one friend or that family member who says, listen, don't worry. You're going to make it. Listen, don't worry. I got you. Listen, don't worry. We're going to get out of this. You're going to get out of this. Do you trust me? And you tell them, okay, I trust you. And that trust doesn't always eliminate the fear. That trust doesn't mean you magically believe them. It means that you're going to put your faith in them and you're going to put your hope in them. And and, then based upon your faith and your trust in them, that's how you try to get out. And so when we read this, we need to understand that Abraham didn't magically believe God because he showed him some stars. But what it does mean is this, that Abraham trusted God in the midst of it seeming impossible that he can have children. In the midst of seeming like this is never going to happen. He hoped in the Lord. He trusted in God. He put his faith in him and he amoned God and God credited that to him as righteousness. And sometimes we think that believing in God means that we magically have this magical faith that nothing scares us, that nothing seems hard, that everything seems possible. No, there are moments in our lives that we have to trust that what God has said he's going to do. We have to trust that he has not forsaken us. We have to trust that he's given us peace. We have to trust in every word that he's spoken. And it's not a magical belief in God. It's a aman kind of belief. It's where we trust God. And so our English word, amen, you know what amen means? It means, sure. It means, so be it. And we understand it to mean, I'm in agreement. Because why? At the end of our prayers, when someone finishes praying, we say, amen. We say, I'm in agreement. We say, so be it. We say, sure. But the English word amen comes from the Hebrew word aman. And so when you realize that, you have to understand that a amen of so be it that is not connected to a aman of I trust you, God, means nothing. And many of us say amen, amen, without an aman first. And there has to be a trust. There has to be a, I put my hope in. There has to be like, God, I'm trusting you, and I'm trusting your word. Aman first, then amen. And this is what Abram does. Because it seems impossible. He's, he's old, and his wife is getting older, 
and time is passing by, but there is no sun. So how in the world, God, is this land going to hold my nations if I don't even have one? But he, Aman, Yahweh, and God credits to him as righteousness. And the way the story goes, when Abraham's 100 years old, him and his wife laugh together because the son of promise, Isaac, is born. And Isaac now is the son of promise. And so the word that God spoke to Abraham is also over the son Isaac. He's just the first one. He's got work to do. He's got to get married. He has to have children. And from Isaac, he has Jacob. And the word that was spoken to Abraham and to Isaac is now over Jacob. But Jacob's got work to do. And so he has to have children also. And so uh, 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 we know that then Jacob has 12 sons. Joseph, the second to the youngest. There's a long storyline about his brothers being jealous and they sell him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. There's a famine in Canaan, which forces the brothers to have to go and ask help from Egypt. But Joseph is in charge, second in command to Pharaoh, and they actually have to come and ask their brother who they sold into slavery for some help. Joseph has forgiveness, long story short, and he brings them and he brings his father out of Canaan and into the land of Egypt. And there they are, they start to multiply and you start to see the word of God coming true in their life. The only problem is they're no longer in the land. And so they're multiplying, they're becoming a great nation. The name of Abraham is great, Isaac and Jacob, this is awesome. They're multiplying, and eventually Joseph dies, and his brothers, that generation, dies, but they had children. And the Pharaoh also who elevated Joseph, he dies too. And there's a Pharaoh who arises that does not have respect for Joseph or his family. And he gets terrified because they're so numerous, and then he enslaves them. And so now there's a promise because they're multiplying as God said that they would, but the promise is there's not, they're not in the right land. And they're in there for 400 years, and when we get the beautiful narrative of Moses in Exodus chapter 2, and the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, and God sends Moses to deliver the nation out, and through a series of plagues and wonders, Pharaoh finally releases the people, and they are out in this wilderness and God wants to reveal himself to them so that he can bring them into the land of the promise. Because they have multiplied, the name is great, they got favor. Even when they left Egypt, they just took everything out of Egypt. Their possession got greater. There's over a million of them out here. And we can see the promise of God that was spoken to Abraham. True, the only last thing that is remaining is the land. But before God knows that he can bring them in the land, he needs to bring them into his presence first. And before he can give them a land, he wants to bring them into his presence. But this now becomes another narrative that you should read in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You guys are with me so far? We're okay? I told you I dropped a pin on you in the end of a book, and now we're reading the book from the beginning. But they get out into the wilderness and they come across Mount Sinai. And this is where God is going to establish his covenant with Moses and the people. This is where God is really going to introduce himself to these people. Because you got to understand they were in slavery for how many years? Pop quiz. I already said it. 400 years as slaves. 400 years as slaves in Egypt. And 
they're surrounded by Egyptian gods and they're surrounded by the culture of the Egyptians and they have habits and they have understandings and they have ways of thinking that have been strongly influenced by the Egyptians and their worship and their systems and their understanding of life and how things work. But God delivers them and before he brings them into a land, he has to bring them into his presence first. Presence first, then the land. Say that with me. Presence first, then the land. Because if you go into the land without the presence, you're going to ruin the land. And so he needs to bring them into his presence. He needs to introduce himself to them as Yahweh and as a covenant God. And he's going to reveal his heart to the people. And so Moses is the instrument. Moses is the man. And so there on Mount Sinai, God calls Moses up and on that beautiful mountain and it's on fire, it's glorious and they're terrified and they're scared and it's, you know, it's good but it's dangerous all at one. It's like a volcano that just lit up on this mountain and Moses is up there. This is scary stuff but God is doing this to reveal his power and his might and to separate himself between him and the gods of the Egyptians. No, he's on a level by himself. But there he's, he calls Moses up, and, and he's going to give him what we know as the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. But he's also going to give him the whole design for the tabernacle and the tent of meeting, the place of his presence. And I just want to read ex, uh, Genesis. Uh, actually, it is uh, Exodus 19, chapter 3 to 8. Josh, I think I gave you Genesis. That was a mistake. It's Exodus 19, 3 to 8. Then Moses went up to God. And Yahweh called him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how, look how beautiful, and how I carried you, out, carried you on eagle's wings and brought you where? To myself. I didn't, bring you, I didn't take you out of Egypt and bring you into the land. I took you out of Egypt and I carried you to myself. So more important than bringing you to the land, it's about me bringing you to my presence first. I carried you out on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. This is the priority. And once you are in the presence, then it makes sense to bring you into the promise of the land. This is where you are, he goes, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now look at this. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. If you obey me and keep my commandments and the law that I'm going to give to you, for the law is about to come in the next chapter, if you obey me and stay in a covenant relationship with me, you're going to be my treasured possession out of the nations. Although, look at this, the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All of you will be a kingdom of priests. All of you, the entire nation is holy, and the word holy just means separated. I have separated you. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people, set them before, uh, set them before, and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. Everyone say hurrah, yay. <laughs> Sounds like a close of a great chapter. In Exodus chapter 19, that chapter ends really good. Hooray, hurrah. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The only problem is if you read the rest of the story, you read the next chapters, this does not come true. They do not hold 
to their covenant promise and agreement. They said, we will do everything Yahweh has said. They kind of do the opposite of what Yahweh says. As Moses is in the mountain and God is scribing on the stones the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me and make no graven images. As he's writing that, they're making a golden calf at the base of the mountain. Moses hasn't even had time to present the law to them, and they've already broken the law. But they just said in Exodus chapter 19 that everything Yahweh says we're going to do. And they've broken the word before they ever received it. And this starts, the story starts to get a little funny here. And so God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and he gives them the law, 613 of them. I wonder if our church should do that. Just have 613 laws before you come into the. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine this? You really. This is. If, this is why when we read this stuff, like this makes no sense. How does this? And because when we read it, we try to apply it to ourselves. Let me tell you this. The culture of the Hebrews and and the nation and God setting them apart. It's very hard to try to translate that to our culture today. And so when we read the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, which I don't like, we're not going to call it the Old Testament no more. It's the Hebrew scriptures, because when you read old, or when you say old, you think irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And what you need to understand, that all the books of the Bible are a unified story that's a journey that's leading us to Jesus. So take out the connotation of old, meaning I don't need this, and irrelevant, and we're going to call them the Hebrew scriptures, or the Hebrew Bible is better terminology. And so as we read the Hebrew scriptures, we realize that it is a unified story that's going to point to Jesus. But God's trying to separate this people so that it could be a blessing to the rest of the nations. And so when we read it, a lot of the laws that we're reading make no sense. We don't know how they apply to us. Just know that God was really separating his people amongst the nations. And he was revealing his holiness. He was revealing his righteousness. And so the book of Exodus comes to a close. And then we get into the book of Leviticus. And this is where many of us die. This is where many of us don't make it out. <laughs> this is where we go in and we don't come back out. And, uh, and, and the book of Leviticus is just everything that pertains to the Levites. And the Levites become the tribe that were the kingdom of priests that did all the stuff in the, in, 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 in the church, in the temple, in the tabernacle. And, and so the book of, uh, of Leviticus, and I'll just help you here, just general summary, it, it, it focuses on three main things. The book of Leviticus first focus on all the rituals, all the sacrifices, all the offerings. At the end of the book, it talks about all the festival and the feasts. So it focuses on rituals. Then it focuses on the priesthood. And this is where you learn about the priests. And Moses has to uh, consecrate Aaron and his sons and all of that stuff. And he teaches you about all the stuff that the Levites are going to do and their clans and how they're going to function. And, 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 and there's chapters that are devoted to the priesthood. And then at the end, it focuses on, on purity. And you get all these purity laws that make no sense to us, right? If you, if you, and I'm not going to get into it, right? And there's all these purity laws, right? And so you have the rituals, you have the priesthood, and then you have the purity. And you say, well, how does, this, is, this is where we die, right? But this is important because the book of Leviticus is all about the holiness of God. And, and the theme of the book is how do people, and even though they're chosen by God, they're just regular people at the same time. They're just like anyone else. How do people who have issues with their heart or people who fail, people who have moral, you know, they're just 
People who have turned from God, people as people, right? God's creation, turn from God. How do these people get into his presence? How do they get into a holy God's presence? It's through the rituals, it's through the priesthood, and it's through the purity. This is everything that they have to do in order to step back into the presence of God and be in fellowship, be in love, be in grace. It's how God transforms someone who's dead and brings them back to life in his presence. And so read it. It's a great read. I hope you survive it this time. Which then takes, and, 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 and all of this takes place around Mount Sinai. They actually are encamped in the wilderness for a year around Mount Sinai. And when we're reading the book of Leviticus, know that all of that stuff is taking place in just one year's time. This is where God's revealing himself. He's telling them about the temple, the tabernacle, and how all this stuff is to be done. Okay, this is the system. This is what you got to do. And then we're going to start to do these sacrifices. And we're going to start to do these festivals. We're going to do all of this stuff. And this is what the priests wear. And this is what the tribes do. And this is what you do. And everyone's getting their roles worked out. And everyone's seeing how to enter into the presence of God so that Moses can finally go into the tabernacle and be in God's glory and lead the people there. And then this is where we get the book of Numbers that follows. Now, that's a terrible name for a book in the Bible, Numbers. Only if you're an accountant do you really want to read this book. Like, you, 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 we don't finish Leviticus, and we say, we're just going to skip to the next chapter. And then you read Numbers, and you're like, oh, I'm not reading this no more. I'm not reading this no more. It's a terrible English translation chosen for the book. But in Hebrew, the actual title is In the Wilderness. Now, that sounds interesting. Because they were in Mount Sinai for a year, and they get all the instruction about how to enter into the presence the book of Numbers is now their journey in the wilderness, guess to where? To the land. And so Leviticus works on bringing them into the presence so they can start heading to the land. And the only reason why we have it in English and we call it the book of Numbers is because two censuses take place. One in the beginning, one in the end. To me, they're probably the least relevant to the whole entire theme of the book. But let's just go with in the wilderness. And so it starts out with Moses and the people getting ready to march over into the promised land. They only got, believe it or not, from here to there, less than two weeks journey. Some people actually say just 11 days it would take from when they're leaving Mount Sinai to get to the promised land. They've already been there for a year, seen the glory of God. They got the system down back. This is going to be a great road trip. Yeah, not really. And so as they start journey. The journey starts out, everyone's counted, everyone gets an order, and the Levites, you guys go first, and you carry the ark, and we pack up, this is how we pack up the tabernacle, and we're going to transport this thing through the wilderness, and all the tribes go in order, and it's like great, great family road trip going to the promised land. <laughs> and as soon as they start to march out, the people start to whine about the manna that they've been eating for a year. And they tell Moses, we're they, they start complaining, we're tired of manna. And they start thinking about being back in Egypt. And right away, they're in the wilderness journey. It's like when you're going on a family road trip to the vacation that you saved your whole past five years for. And the kids start acting crazy in the back of the car. It's like, we got six hours to go. And in your mind, this is going to be the trip of a lifetime when you get to the destination. And already your kid stabbed the other one with something. You're, you already made three potty stops, right? Someone's got a tummy ache at the gas station. It's like, this is terrible. And this is literally what happens in the wilderness. It becomes a terrible journey. 
They start, can you imagine God? Moses is so frustrated. The book of Numbers is about frustration in the wilderness. They start complaining that they wish they were back in Egypt because they're tired of manna, the bread that God sent them to sustain them. And here you see Moses interceding for God to have mercy. In book of Numbers, you see God having Moses, like intercede on Moses for him to have mercy. As they start going in, Moses' brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, start criticizing the woman that he chose to marry. And they start talking bad about Moses, the prophet, the man of God. And God has to come and speak against them. It's terrible family road trip. Eventually, they get near the promised land, and then God tells Moses, choose 12 men from the 12 tribes and get some people, and we're going to send them just to scout out the land and, and tell us. And Moses says, hey, you're going to give me a report? Tell me if the land is good, if the ground is fertile, is there fruit, are there inhabitants there, do they have four to five cities? Go scout out the land. It takes them 40 days to do that. They're in the land now, and they're scouting it out, and Moses and the rest of the nation is waiting for a report to come back. When they come back... Joshua and uh, Caleb, Caleb comes back, this was wonderful, the land is fertile, we, we cut down some grapes and two of us had to carry it, this is the land that flows with milk and honey, yeah, there are people there, but we, we got this, we can get it, and you know what the other ten spies say, they're like, no, the, the Nephilim live in there, there's some giant men up in there, this is crazy, they're going to kill us, and so only two return with a good report, like, yes, we can possess the promise. We can possess the land. But the other ten come with a bad report. They start to spread that to the rest of the nation, and they come up with this amazing idea. Why don't we just appoint a new leader over us, and that leader could lead us back to Egypt. Can you imagine your six-hour road trip finally bringing these kids to Disney and they decide in the back that they're going to vote for new parents and they're going to go back home into quarantine? Like, are you kidding me right now? Moses is just furious. God is so mad. He, those leaders end up dying. This is, this is in the wilderness. This is more than numbers. And so... What ends up happening, God gets so frustrated, he says, you know what? For the 40 days that you were in there, seeing the promise and coming back out and saying you want to go back to Egypt, oh, I'm going to give you what you want. You're not going to go in. He says, for 40 days that you were in there, seeing it, but not believing, now you're going to be a year for every day. And this is how the journey now turns from 14 days to 40 years. He says, as a matter of fact, 20 and older who are out here, none of you 20 and older are going to come into this promised land wow. except for Joshua and Caleb. Wow. And Moses was on his way too. Yeah. Only 19 and others could inherit. Because you desire to go back to the place that I delivered you from, you need this land to be the blessing to the nations. The land is only about a position. You have my presence. The land is only about a strategic position to reach more than you ever reached before. It's about a place of rest for you. It's about a place of permanence for you. It's about spiritual headquarters for you to reach all the surrounding nations. And you're telling me that you're going to appoint a new leader and go back? Fine. None of you will enter in. 
Then the story continues, and then they get thirsty. And God's already done a miracle where water came out of a rock one time. You can read that in Exodus. But now we're reading here in Numbers, and the same thing happens. There's no water, and they start complaining. If only we were back in Egypt. God gets so, Moses gets so angry. God tells him, you know what? Go speak to the rock, and we're just going to feed these people. And he's still, God is still giving, releasing his mercy and his grace to these stubborn, rebellious, murmuring people. But Moses gets so angry, he takes his staff, and he slams the rock two times. And then God now confronts Moses and says, because you have done this. Now, you're not going to inherit the promised land. And that's why when we got all the way to Deuteronomy, Moses climbs up to a mountain in Horeb. They're right on the outskirts looking into the promised land. God allows Moses to see it as far as the north, the south, the east, and the west, but he does not allow him to enter. Moses dies out there. Then we get to the book of Deuteronomy. What is this book about? The book of Deuteronomy is them getting 40 years later. God's been gracious and merciful. Yes, he's acted in justice against that generation. But still, remember, he gave a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he promised the land to who? The descendants. And so even though one generation is not going to go in, God is still so faithful to his promise to the next generation. This is the love and the mercy of God just flowing over these rebellious people. Do they sound like anyone you know? The purpose of us reading these stories is for us to kind of sometimes see ourselves in the story. And for us to see that it's most important that we're in his presence before we step into any place. It's for us to see God's amazing love despite our rebellion and our wickedness, that God has promises that go beyond our ignorance and our pettiness and our disobedience at times. And sometimes we got to realize that we're getting blessed, not because we've been perfect, but because God's been merciful. And I know you've been good and you fasted 40 days and you read 10 Bible plans and now you think you deserve the blessing of the Lord. But I promise you there's going to come a day when you murmur, when you fall short. And on that day, remember the mercy and the goodness of our Father that if you will repent and turn to him, that he will turn to you because he's a God of promise, not just to us, but to our descendants. It's for us to look at this story and realize that God's plan is, yes, it's about blessing us and making our name great, but it's really to bless the generations that are to come and for that the love and mercy of our gracious Heavenly Father, the creator of the heaven and the earth, wants to bless the rest of the world through us and our generations. It goes beyond us. There has to, something has to happen in our minds and our hearts where we realize that all this mercy and all this grace is not based upon our righteousness but on God's alone. And there's an ultimate plan that God has promised to our world that he needs to keep. I want to tell you a story. When we got here after a couple of years, we had our own in the wilderness experience. And, and I remember saying, well, God, why, do you, why are you so merciful to me and so loving to me and so gracious to me? I'm a knucklehead and I mess up. Man, I must be special like Abraham. I must be anointed like Abraham. You must love me so much more, you know, like Abraham. 
And then I realized the reason why God was so merciful and the reason why God had extended his grace to me wasn't because I was more special than anyone, but something happened in my heart where I realized that God had a promise over this land. God had a word to keep to himself about the people of this land, the people of this state, the people of our community, the people of this area. And God was extending his love and his mercy towards me because he had a promise to the descendants of this land, to the, to the descendants of the people of this place. And God will be gracious and faithful to us because of what he wants to do in the land. But this is why we got to meditate on the words of the Lord, and this is why it kept getting repeated throughout the whole Torah. You're going to see it, but you got to keep the covenant. You got to keep the law in your heart. It needs to be written in here. And so you know what the whole book of Deuteronomy is about? The book of Deuteronomy just means the second law. It's not because it's another set of commandments. It's just the elaboration. And, and Moses, the people are about to go into the promised land. He, Moses has, after 40 years, got them as close as he could bring them. And they, and they could see it as right before them. The only thing separating them between the promised land is the Jordan River. And then the next city is, is, is a Jericho. And you guys probably heard that story in kids' church when you were growing up, right? And so he gets them as close as possible. And, and now Moses is not going to be able to go in. And the book of Deuteronomy is about Moses' final instructions to who? To that generation, those 19 and under. And he's telling them, don't be like your fathers who did not listen and aman God. And he actually brings them before, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. They're actually in, they're in a valley in between Mount Gerasim and Mount Ebal. And Moses uh, takes the tribes, and, and, and they're put on the mountains. And, and, and there Moses starts to says, if you obey God, if you listen to his law, and you keep covenant with God, he goes, all these blessings will be yours in the land. And on one mountain, as he, look at this, as he said a blessing, you know what the people said? They said, amen. They said, amen. They said, so be it. They said, sure. And then as he pronounced the cursings, then the other tribes on the other mountain said, amen. It's kind of like an Exodus 19, like, yeah, everything God says we're going to do. And so Moses leaves that young, that next generation ready to inherit the promised land. He leaves them with the law of God in their faces. And then he dies. Joshua now rises, and he's their leader. And that's where we read. Joshua's ready to take them in. But God gives a pep talk to Joshua, like, hey, I promise, just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. He tells them, be strong and courageous. Three times he repeats, be strong and courageous. He tells them, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Look at this. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. He says, I've given you this land. Every place that your feet touch will be yours because I have already given it. He's, like they haven't even got there, but God says, I've already given it to you. This is how God's promises work. He gives them to you in spirit. 
and then you possess them with time. But you need, this is, this is one of the biggest points that I wanted to make today, and I put it on my notes really big because I want us to understand this about the promises of God. We think that the promises of God are about naming and proclaiming them. We, 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 many of us might have a book, 100 Promises of God, and every morning you grab it and you, you, you proclaim it. And I'm not saying it's bad to acquaint yourself with the promises of God. But what you need to understand that promises of God are not named and proclaimed. And that a promise here, look, here, a promise given is not a promise handed. A promise given must always be taken. And there's a difference between something given to you and something handed to you. And many of us think that promises spoken by God are promises handed to us. And we just name them and we proclaim them. But no, no. If God gives you something, you have to take it. You have to possess it. He says, I have given you the land if you are willing to step forward and take it. And that's how we acquire promises of God. Later in the New Testament, Jesus would say, peace I have given to you, but peace given to God. Uh, uh, peace given to us is not peace handed to us. You don't just wake up and say peace, 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 and then you think everything changes around you, and then you walk into your kitchen and there's peace, and then you walk to the job and there's peace, and then the traffic is peace, and then you get back home at 6 o'clock in the morning and the 10 kids are home and it's just peace. No, peace given to us means we have to take hold of peace. So what does that mean? When you wake up in the morning and there's a bunch of dishes in there, you gotta take peace over yourself so you don't go nuts when you start your day. When you get to your job and everyone acting crazy and your co-worker came in late who was supposed to help you on that ship, you got to know that God has given and released peace. So now you have to start to walk and take peace in that moment. And then when you get back home and then your wife is late and she's not going to get there on time and now you got to help the kids with homework, you need to take the peace that God said I have given to you. And when she finally gets home and she brings the food and it's cold and as you eat it, you got to take peace. Because a promise spoken by God is not a promise handed out by God. And so we think that when God speaks something, that means that it just magically happens. But even peace given by God must be peace taken from him. And so why do I say that? Because God is trying to prepare Joshua and the nation that because I have given you the land, don't think that I handed you the land. When you go in there, there's going to be enemy forces in the land. When you go there, you're going to realize that there's a Jordan River between you and the land. And so you're not going to just piece your way over it. You're going to have to take it by force, and you're going to have to walk in faith towards it. And when you get there, you're going to see this big fortified city named Jericho. And guess what? I have given you the land, but I haven't handed it to you. And so you're going to have to trust me at my word. And if I tell you to march around this thing for seven days and on the last day, march around it seven times and at the end, shout even though it doesn't make any sense. Yes, I have given you the land, but you have to take it in faith. And so I know we like to wake up and just, I'm just going to proclaim all these promises. Proclaim them, but then take them. Then you got to take them. God has given me joy. You need, a whole, you need to take joy. You need to take things like peace. You got to take things like faith. And when the enemy starts to come in like a flood, you got you to take your faith. You got to possess it. 
And so if you read the book of Joshua, we're going to come to a close now. Joshua's book is all about them taking what God has already given. They had to march in faith and they had to fight battles and they had to obey God. And they had some victories and they had some defeats. But the promise given wasn't the promise handed. Like, God promised me a house, so you're just waiting for someone one day to ring your doorbell and drop you off a key. Well, I'm just proclaiming, pastor, pray for me. God told me that I was going to get a house, and so I want the whole church to fast for seven days. <laughs> because you, we think that promises spoken are promises handed. No, God says I'm going to give you a house. That's the promise spoken. Now you got to take the promise. And what that means, you got to take your finances and fix them. You got to take your out of control spending habits and take it with self control. You got you to gotta take out some Starbucks cups. You got to take out some sweaters this year and take out some all time favorite sneakers you've been waiting on. You got to take the house. You understand? You got you to take it. Anyone promised the house that God said He would give you? And then you realize that to get it, you had to take it? You had to take it in faith, take it in action, take it in belief, take it in hope, take it. You had to take it. That's why he said, I have given you the land. Oh, great, God. He goes, if your feet are willing to tread. And so when I think of us as a church, oh, there have been promises spoken. Many of us. Many, many promises to different people along this journey. God, God has spoken to us. And I think we suffered as a church thinking that we just needed to name and proclaim that promise over and over again. And we didn't realize that to really take it is to take it in obedience of our action, to take it in listening to the word of God. That whole promise hung on their ability to keep covenant with God. The minute they released the covenant, they took their hands off of the promise. And throughout the years, our church has gone forward and backward, forward and backward, forward. God says, I'm going to bless you. And we say, let it be so. So be it. Someone comes and gives a word to the church. We say, amen. And you got to be careful with that amen. Be careful with that. Sure. Be careful with that. I'm in agreement. Be careful with the amen if there's no aman. Because aman requires not just magical belief and a name it and proclaim it miracle because God said it. Aman has to do with I trust you, God. My heart is going to lean on you, God. It doesn't matter how long time it's taking, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to obey your word and I'm going to try to do right, God. And I know I'm not perfect and I'm not being self-righteous, but I'm going to trust you. And if you tell me to fast, then I'm going to fast. If you tell me to love, then I'm going to love you. If you tell me to let go of certain things, I'm going to let certain things go. I'm going to look for you, God, and I'm going to surrender my life and surrender my will and surrender my plans. I don't just say amen. I say aman first and let my amen follow the aman. Abraham amoned God, and it was credit to him as righteousness. I think we've been saying amen for too long. And it's time for us to realize that to walk into the promise, it begins with a step of aman first. 
and Joshua and those whole people stepped into the Jordan River. I can imagine them. I can imagine Joshua saying, God, you want us to walk through here? Didn't we do this already with, God, with Moses? Do we got to do this again? And so they had to get the ark and they had to get the priest and they had to get ready to walk through the, through the, through the Jordan. I could, if I was Joshua, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, at least if Moses was standing behind me, I would have some faith. But Moses' body is dead up, in a, up on a mountain and no one ever found it, the Bible says. I can't, can we not, like, I can't even bring his bones with us. Like, his bones got some anointing and... <laughs> Joshua didn't magically believe that it was going to open. Joshua amon God that it would open. And the priests with the ark started, they actually, look at this. When you read the story, it didn't part and they walked. This was a river. They actually stepped into the water. And, and they didn't stop. If, I, me, if it was me, if I would have took my first step, I'd be like, okay, nothing happened. Back up, guys. We go back. We're going to try this again. Maybe I forgot a detail here. But remember what God told Joshua, wherever your feet would tread, I will give to you. And as they walked and took steps, then the water started to go down. And as they walked forward, eventually it says the Jordan water was cut off. There's a river. The sea, look at this, the sea parted left to right, stood at their both sides and they walked through. With Joshua was a river that flows. This one got cut off completely. So can you imagine looking this way, seeing the last drop of water go, then looking this way and seeing the heap of water on the other side? And as they stepped, the water held. That doesn't make any natural sense. But that's what happens when you, Amman, Yahweh. But that whole story is about getting the presence in them. So that then what? When they got into the land, the presence of God could infiltrate the land. Because the land was full of idolatrous, worshiping enemies of Yahweh. And there was no point in them getting into the land if they didn't have the presence inside them. If the presence of God didn't go with them. Dwelling Place Church, we have been on a journey. been on a journey we've been following what we like to call the cloud what does following the cloud mean to us the church I hope by now you know we talk about it a lot here following the cloud is about following the presence of God as he leads us to our own promised land and for the children of Israel while they were in that wilderness walking through all those territories for 40 40 years they kept setting up their little tent the tabernacle and the presence of God was there, and, 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 and they, they kept the tabernacle there as long as the presence of God rested there. But when the presence would get up and move, that's how they moved. They, they followed the presence. God did this for training for them. Like, you stay when I stay, but when I move, then you move. And through Joshua, the presence was leading them to the land of promise. And so when we did our last move, how many remember? We, you know what we said? We said, we're just following the cloud. For many of us, it looked like we lost our building. For many of us, it looked like, man, we looked at this space. Some of you guys probably came in here and were like, this is next? This is a small tabernacle, Pastor. This is a small tabernacle. And we've been 
over a year now on a little journey in the wilderness. My prayer is that it doesn't turn into 40. <laughs> but the purpose of every wilderness is to teach you how to purify yourself like the tribe of Levi in order to get into the presence so that the rest of the nation can come into the presence of God. And boy, oh boy, do I, I can't explain how this little place here has been a place of presence for us. It just took a couple of weeks before people started coming after service saying, man, the presence of God is like nothing else, Pastor. We miss our old place, but there's something about God's presence here that I don't mind being here. And, and in the presence is purification. In the presence is how we purify ourselves. It's where we learn to obey the word of God. The word of God throughout this year has been incredible in our church. We're meditating on the word of God day and night. We're doing more things than we ever did when we had a building that we can walk into anytime that we wanted to. This, is a not, this place is not about what's on the outside. It has become about what's on the inside of us. And we've been hidden for a while, and we've been unseen for a while, and we don't get as many first-time guests. But what does it matter to have a bunch of first-time guests if there is no presence? What does it matter to get a bunch of guests if there is no word of God? What does it matter to have a bigger building if God is not in the house and the people are not in the presence of God while they're in that house? So you know what? I'll take this wilderness journey. And God's been merciful through all our murmuring, through all our complaining. And many times, many of us have been like, oh, we were only back over there. And God had to be merciful to us. Oh, God knows your heart. God knows our little hearts. Parking in the grass saying, man, if only we had cement back on 192. And God's like, you'd rather have cement and no presence. Here my glory is coming. Here there's fellowship like never before. Here there are healings. Here there's salvation. You have baptisms here too. And you crying about going back to a place. But promises of God come to pass not because of people's faithfulness. It's always because of God and his love and his promise to descendants. And don't get it wrong. Every time they doubted, God acted in justice towards those people. And know this, that entire generation that left Egypt didn't go in except for two people. And today I want to tell you the next chapter of our lives Everyone that came out of Egypt may not go into the next chapter. But right now, you and I have an opportunity to be like those two men who scouted the land and said, you know what? Yeah, there's giants there. Yes, there's walls there. Yes, there's people, inhabitants there. But the ground is fertile, and we're going to aman God and move forward. So guess what, church? Today, I'm here today to make a big announcement. been in the wilderness for a while now but God's been working he's been working in our us as we're in his presence but he's also been working behind the scenes I don't want you to think that every battle we fought here was a victory we have victories and defeats here but we're here today because of God's faithful promise to the descendants and so over this past year I felt something happened in my heart. 
And let me tell you something about the wilderness. The wilderness could get so comfortable because you learn to, you learn to work in the wilderness. You learn how to set up the tent and the tabernacle in the wilderness. You do it so many times that it becomes comfortable to you. You learn the routine of the wilderness. You learn the smell. You learn the terrain. You learn where to park your car, where not to park your car when it rains. You get used to not having so many people that it almost becomes easier just to remain there. But there's something even about our comfort that God's promises go beyond our comfort levels. And so many things were happening here. We knew also coming here that this was going to be a great place for us to save money because the rent here was like six times less than it was over there. For the first time ever in my life, I looked into the church bank account and saw over $150,000. Can someone just... Give God some praise for that. That happened in a year's time. Now, the reason why you're, you're clapping because you don't know what happened to chapter 1 through 10. Chapters 1 through 10, there was always less than like $2,000 in the church account. We as a church lived paycheck to paycheck. Every week was like, Aman, Aman, Aman. <laughs> being here over the last year now because of that we have been able to as a church keep our hands open and we cannot tell you because of you and because of God's faithfulness the thousands of dollars that we've been able to give away right back into the church right back into families some of you sitting in here right now know the church was able but that wasn't because of us and our faithfulness and our righteousness that was because of the mercy and the goodness God said I promise I'm gonna bless you I'm gonna make your name great and you're gonna be a blessing to the people and that's why we've been able to give to the people and the families of this church not because of us but because of God's promise think of that you're like I'm fine staying here and we got to $150,000 in a year we could go to $300,000 in another this is so good we could buy whatever we want this year we made purchases of things that we needed I didn't have to think about so I'll be like pastor we want to buy this I'll be like amen we need a new piano so be it <laughs> Josh was like, hey, we got to go online. We need like 15 cameras and all this equipment. I'd be like, amen. <laughs> if it's going to bless the people, so be it. I'm in agreement, brother. <laughs> so then if you think about, oh, but if we leave here and then we try to acquire something, my fear is like, oh, my God, I don't want to go to paycheck to paycheck. Let's just stay right here. This is good. Let's just stay here. Let's just stay here. Let's just wait it out. And, and as much as I wanted to wait it out, I felt like God saying, Psst, I know you're comfortable here, but it's time for you to have an Amman moment again. But pastor, if I have an Amman moment, we're going to lose all of that, and then I can't help people. comes a time where you have to have that Amman moment and just trust God again. Where you have to go out in faith and leave your father's house and journey and grab all your stuff and try to go. And so it's been the past months where I struggled with that and eventually I realized it's time for the next Amman. 
It's time for the next Aman. And I want to give you a word that I want to recite a word to you that we received last year. Pastor Joe, if you know him, the sermon's on YouTube. You can find it. One accord, one mind, one place. We invited him to preach for the church anniversary back in August of last year. And this is the word that he gave to us. This is the word spoken. This is the promise spoken to our church that, that day. He said, if you do this, this ministry, if you do life in unity and agreement, in harmony, if you will be the place for him, he will bring you to your own place. This is what God spoke to us. This is what Yahweh said to us. I have a place for you. As long as you pay attention on being my place, then I will bring you to your place. Pastor Joe said, when you come together, you must focus on being his dwelling place. He has a place for you. Look, it's a big place. And then he said this, God will never remove the requirement of faith, of belief. And it hit me as I was preparing. God will never remove the requirement of aman in order for you to obtain what he wants and has for you. He said, natural reasoning will talk us out of what he has for us. Don't count how much money and people we have. Be careful with counting that book of numbers. <laughs> There's a strategy of heaven with the place. So don't look for any old place. Look for the place. And he gave three requirements. He said it must be strategic, it must be visible, and it must be accessible. He said, Pastor, remember this. The place he brings you into will be an ongoing part of history. It was in this preparation of this sermon that I was hearing this. It's not just about you. It's about the promise to the generations after you. This goes beyond you. This is about your sons. This is about your daughters. This is about your grandchildren. It's about every child that is sitting in our midst and the children that are in their loins. It will always be strategic as it relates to the kingdom objectives. And it must be visible, accessible to those seeking it. This was the promise. what happened at the ending of the book of Joshua towards the end after all those battles and they Amon through the walls of Jericho they messed up at the city of Ai but they got their Amon back after that Joshua 21 verse 43 to 45 says this so the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to their ancestors and they took possession of it and settled there they took what God gave. Remember, a promise given is not a promise handed. You have to take what God gives. It says, the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to who? Their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Verse 45, not one of the Lord Yahweh's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. The same Yahweh that spoke to Joshua is the same Yahweh that speaks to us today. Is the same Yahweh that spoke to us last year and said, God's giving us a place. So today, church, I want to tell you, we feel we have seen the place. And it's so ironic 
This is so ironic. They, Joshua and the Israelites, stepped into a land. For them, that was promised to them nearly 500 years ago. And when Abraham heard the promise, God allowed Abraham to walk and tread the land like a lion taking his domain. Even though the land wasn't for him and it was promised to the generations, they tasted it, they saw it. And when they were ready for his presence and when they were ready to be his dwelling place, when their hearts were ready to be a tabernacle, he brought them in. Well, guess what, church? Today I want to show you the place that God has placed on our heart. We're not going to count how much money we have. We're not going to count the little bit of people that are in here right now or the five people that are watching online. It's not about counting the numbers. It's about us remaining in his presence, being faithful to his word, and saying aman as we go. So today, church, I want to show you that we, I want to reveal to you the place that we feel God has given to us as a promised land, as our first place of purchase for us and for our generations. Here it is. It's a place that we tasted. It's a place that God allowed us to walk through. And sometimes God will take you out of the land so that you can get his presence on the inside of you so that when you go back into the land, the glory of God will be with you. It'll be a place of rest, a place of healing, a place of restoration. you when we closed the doors and we took our chairs out I said goodbye I said God you must have a promised land somewhere so much bigger I didn't realize that there was so much work that God wanted to do on the inside of us the same way how that book of Leviticus is not one we like to read but it's all about purification it's all about getting God's presence back in you and allowing us that's what this place has been We've been in a Leviticus this whole time, a purifying of the hearts, a returning to the presence. We've been on our numbers in the wilderness here. We all had our numbers moment where we doubted and when we believed and where we grumbled and we wanted to go back. But we're here today because of Yahweh's faithfulness to his promise to our generations. There's something in your loins there's something in your children. There's something in your grandchildren. That this promise goes beyond us. And I said, man, God, but if we buy this building, we're going to lose all our savings. And I started to weigh. I started to count. I started to measure what seems more prosperous. And the more that I try to say, no, we'll just hang on here. I felt the Lord telling me, no, you need to believe again. You need to have faith again. And these are the hard conversations or the scary conversations that I had in my home. And my wife saying, you know what? I feel this is it. And my son saying, don't doubt. Stop thinking about the money. We keep our hands open, but we trust and we believe God and God's going to do it again. So this is a promise that's given, but it's not a promise that's handed. Remember, they had a, they had a step forward. They had a step into the water. This is going to require more belief more trust, more amen. Because we're showing you this picture doesn't mean that I got keys in my pocket. It means that we got to go and possess and take back the land. So it's going to require more of your faith. It's going to require more of your prayers. It's going to require more of our giving and our generosity to get this. 
we've tasted and we walked through like Abraham. Then the nation was taken out so that the presence could go into the nation so that they could bring the presence back into the land. And we believe that this is our place of promise. If you're watching and you don't know what that place is, that's been our, that was our old building for six years. And if you drive by, it still has our logo on it. No one has ever. And, and you guys are probably saying, wait a minute, how are you going to buy that? Didn't they kick you out because someone bought it? Yahweh said, I'm going to bless those who bless you, or I'm going to curse those that curse you. <laughs> no, nah, I'm not praying God curse anybody, but. <laughs> but that sale that went through didn't really go through. And it's been vacant this whole entire time. Eventually, I got back in contact with the owner. He's like, Pastor Ezekiel, you don't want to buy this building? I was like, no. I was in Amen, not in Amman. Like, nah. I'm good where we're at. Amen for what God's given us. And then conversation today, he called me again. I'm like, leave me alone, no. Because I also heard God's got a big place for us. And when we were in there, we were like, no, that place ain't big. I'll tell you this, I went back in there a couple of weeks ago, got in there a couple of times, and you know what's the first thing I said when I went in there? I'm like, yo, this place is big! Yo, yo, this place is so big! Yeah, the square fudges are still exactly the same. But what's big about it is what God can do if we go back in with his presence. What's big is his work that he can do, the healing that he can do, the salvations, the transformed lives, that's what's big in that place now. And so today I'm not gonna ask for your money, I'm not gonna ask for a special donation, I'm gonna put up a campaign right now. That's all gonna come. What I'm gonna invite you to is Ahmad. I'm gonna invite you to Ahmad. I'm gonna invite you to believe, to hope. I'm going to invite you to do whatever steps you need to take. Because remember, the promise given is not the promise handed. The promise given is a promise that must be taken. How many people say amen? Amen.